We are going to start this series on the book of, of Luke this uh, Sunday, and I'm really excited as we step into the series. I thought we'd take a minute to talk through what we're about to look at. Like, namely, like, the Bible is composed of many different genres of literature. It's not just poetry. There's stories. There's this whole category called Jewish apocalyptic literature. That's the book of Revelation. There's, there's um, you know, all sorts of things there. And what we're about to look at is what's called a gospel. Now, gospel is not to be confused with the gospel, which is the good news, that life with God is available through the atoning death of Jesus Christ and is given to us freely, right? That's the gospel. But the gospels are the first four books in the New Testament, if you're newer to the Bible, and that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the gospels are its own genre of literature. You didn't know you were signing up for a seminary class today, but um, alas, you did. So, um, so these are books written by four different authors. And what they set out to do when they, they wrote the Gospels is give four different pictures of Jesus. So each Gospel kind of highlights something different about Jesus, or, or maybe the same, some of the same features, but maybe bring out certain things about the life of ministry, and ministry of Jesus in a different way. So it's like this, these two paintings of the Eiffel Tower, the Eiffel Tower, as you all know. And some people, when they read the, the Gospels, they say, well, Matthew, Matthew, clearly something different is going on than Luke, which is something different than what's going on in Mark. And we kind of see different things, different emphases. But, but think through paintings. Here's two famous paintings of the Eiffel Tower. I forget who they're by. I like art, I like art just not enough to remember who did these paintings. Anyways, are both of these paintings of the Eiffel Tower? Are both of these accurate paintings of the Eiffel Tower? Are the artists trying to show something unique about the Eiffel Tower in each one of them? When the same way, the Gospels in your Bible do the same thing. And Luke is going to try to show us something unique about the person of Jesus that we are going to look at over these next several years. <laughs> So, so I wanted to give you a definition of what a gospel is so that you can just hang on to this. Um, here's my favorite definition of the gospel. It's not simple, but it is what it is. The gospels are theological, historical, and virtue-forming biographical narratives that retell the story of and proclaim the significance of Jesus Christ, who is the restorer of God's reign. They're theological. They're meant to tell us something about God and who he is. They're historical. We think that what happened in these books really happened. These aren't just myth. These aren't fable. They really happen. And we think that they're also virtue forming, that like God's word instructs us how to live. So, and they ultimately tell the story of Jesus the one who's the restorer of God's reign. And as we step into our passage today, what I want us to see is the simple main point that we can wait with hope because nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is impossible for God. So let's dive into Luke together. If you would open your Bible to Luke chapter one, we're gonna read the first four verses. And our first point is hope 
planned. Hope planned. Hear God's word. Many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us. It also seemed good to me, since I've carefully investigated everything from the very first, to write you an orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty about the things which you have been instructed. So this is the opening credits of the book of Luke. This, these four verses set the, the rest of the tone for the whole chapter. It's the preface, as it were, um, to the whole book, just like you'd open a book at home and you'd read the introduction of the preface to it. These four verses are the preface to the book of Luke. And, um, and he sets out at the very beginning to tell us who he is and why he is writing it. So first, Luke is writing to a, a gentleman named Theophilus. Now, we don't know exactly who Theophilus was. There's some speculation, but because of the times and what we know about it, we can know that Theophilus was probably a wealthy man and probably a, a politically prominent person in society, could have been. It's also very likely that Theophilus was a Gentile. That is, um, he was not a Jew, but he was a Christian and a follower of Jesus Christ. And this will be relevant for reasons we'll get to in a minute. So that's the who Luke is writing this book for. He's writing it for Theophilus, but also for the church. And then why he wrote the book is because it says that he wanted to give an orderly account. He wanted to give an orderly account. He, he wanted to take what the eyewitnesses saw and what Luke carefully investigated and write it down in an orderly way. And history has it that Luke was a physician. And so in, he would have been an educated person. The fact that he could even write and meant that he was highly educated in society. So he wanted to write down something orderly. And then we get to the other reason why he wrote this book, and that is the reason of certainty. Luke wrote the book in verse 4 so that, you, so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. Luke wants Theophilus and he wants us to have certainty about the hope that we have in Jesus. So Luke penned this book to give us this hope. And here's one other thing I find fascinating that will come up again and again in our, in our series. Some speculate that Theophilus was a discouraged Christian. A discouraged Christian who felt like he didn't belong. Who felt like he didn't fit in. Who looked at what was going on in the church and wondered if he had a place. He didn't fit the mold. He was a Gentile. And what Luke is doing is he's writing to Theophilus to show him that he does. And I find this encouraging because sometimes I think we can all feel like we don't belong, that our doubts are too deep, that our questions are too big. Maybe you doubt your own faith. Is it really right? 
Maybe you look at what goes on in the broader church and you're like, do I belong in this? Like, what is going on? Maybe you look at your circumstances. But either way, I think Luke is set out so that you would know the certainty of Jesus and that you would in fact know that in Christ, you have a home and you have hope. Which brings us to our next points. Hope doubted, hope doubted. We're going to take a bigger chunk. We're going to read verses 5 to 25. And I I do hope that you'll bring your Bible and keep it on your lap um, because we'll be looking at the text pretty closely. It says this, in the next days, uh, in the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest in Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to the commands and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. When his division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, He was terrified and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous, to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. How can I know this? Zechariah asked the angel. For I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things have take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, amazed that he stayed so long in the sanctuary. When he did not come out, he could not speak to them. Then they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He was making signs to them and remained speechless. When the days of his ministry were completed, he went back home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. She said, the Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgraces among the people. So we go from the preface and then we just, boom, we jumped right into the story, and Luke wastes no time and just kind of gets us gets us to it. And this setup is, I, I want to just kind of step into the text a little bit in the time, and I want to ask if you've ever been weary or tired of waiting. I think we all have. It's Christmas time. We wait in traffic more. We wait in lines more. Suddenly, the population seems to double in the stores, So there's one way you can go tired of waiting. But have you ever gone tired of waiting for that job to change? For this person to change? For your circumstances to change? For those test results to come in? Have you ever grown tired of 
praying for somebody, wondering when they're going to change, when they're going to come to Jesus? Have you ever grown weary of waiting? I certainly have. And what we're being dropped into right now is a time of waiting. The people of God haven't heard a peep from God in 400 years. 400 years, no prophets. 400 years, no visions. 400 years, no signs. Their grandfathers didn't hear sign. Their great-grandfathers didn't hear a sign from God. God has been silent. They've been, the people of God have been tossed around by different empires and now occupied by the Roman Empire. And God, he's nowhere to be found, at least it seems. And there they are, standing with the promises of God in a waning hope that God will come through on those promises. Promises that seem kind of empty. And among the people of God, there's even divisions and factions and people who are against the empire and people who are, who are you know, kind of made their peace with the empire and, and, and all of this. And there's complacency religiously. Kind of sounds familiar sometimes. And in the middle of this waiting and in the middle of the 400 years, we learn about a man named Zechariah. And we learn about his wife, Elizabeth. And we learn that these, these guys, they're kind of upright people in the world. They, they, they've not lost faith. They've kept at it. They, they've followed their God. He's a priest after all. So he makes his living this way. But he b- really believes that they're upright people. And for whatever reason, Elizabeth is unable to bear kids. And in that culture, at that time, as we've talked about before, not to have children is to be like put down in society, to have shame for not having children, to think that God may be judging you for not having children. And so we have a priest who everyone assumes his family has been rejected by God being chosen to go offer incense in the sanctuary of the Lord. Now, you need to understand something. When I read this, like for the first time, it's like, okay, cool. Zechariah gets to do his priestly thing and go offer incense. But actually, because there were so many priests and because of the way things were set up with different divisions, this would have been a once in a lifetime opportunity for Zechariah. This was his big moment. This was his game against the Netherlands, right? Um, come on, is anyone watching the World Cup here? Um, anyways... <laughs> This was his game against the Netherlands. This was his moment to, like, he's been preparing for this moment his whole life. And I'm sure Zechariah, he's feeling a mix of humility, like, oh, what he gets to do is a big deal, right? To go into the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense, which this was that. This was a heavy, weighty responsibility. So he's feeling a mix of that humility and he's feeling a mix of of excitement. And so we have the, the rejected priest by society being chosen by chance, but through the casting of lots, to go offer incense in the Lord's sanctuary. And you can bet Zechariah is pumped for this. Like, he's got lose yourself on his ancient iPod, right? Because you only get one shot. This opportunity comes once in a lifetime. You didn't know you'd hear Eminem this morning. Um, <laughs> anyways. So, 
So he goes in and he's visited by the Lord's messenger, this angel Gabriel. In the silence, the 400-year silence has been broken as God shows up to the priest the society's lot was rejected. And and he says, Zechariah, your prayers have been heard. And he says that he's going to give them a kid whose name is John, which means God is gracious. It's amazing that this is the way the God of the universe chooses to step back into the story, as it were. But Zechariah, he says, he has questions. Look at verse 18. He says, how can I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Seems like a fair question, right? I'm old, my wife's old, how are you going to have kids? The angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. So we find that God comes with this great news to Zechariah the priest, the one who's supposed to be close to God, the one who's supposed to be following after God. And when God visits the priest that was randomly chosen, the priest doesn't really believe. We get access into his heart. Remember, man looks at the outward appearance, the Lord looks at the heart, and the Lord sees the heart of Zechariah, and it's filled with disbelief. And so, since he won't believe God's words, other people won't believe his, because they won't be able to hear his. He's made mute until his son would be born. He's in there a while, and he comes out, people are like, you were in there a long time, and he can't talk. And they figure out that, he, that, that God has broken through and that he's seen a vision. And if any of this sounds remotely familiar, like if any of this like barrenness, like disbelief, it's because what Luke wants you to do as you're reading this is think back, there are other stories in the Bible, like Abraham with a barren wife who was well along in years. And if the priest, he should have known that if God can, can make Sarah, who was like 90 years old, pregnant, that he could do it to his wife Elizabeth too. But Luke wants us to hear all of that and think, man, because he wants us to see that God is beginning to fulfill his promises. While John would not be the chosen one, he would fall in the line of Abraham And that what we are beginning to see is all of that Old Testament stuff begin to be fulfilled. And wouldn't you know it, Elizabeth conceives and says, the Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. God visits and what does he do but take away shame? and clothe with honor, because that's what God does. And then here's something I'm just so amazed by, and I want us to not miss it, that it can seem like, oh, it seems kind of harsh, God. You made Zechariah not be able to talk. But did you? But he's going to talk later. We'll get there. 
And, but in the meantime, God was still gracious to Zechariah. It, his promise to Zechariah wasn't dependent upon the perfections of Zechariah's faith but on the character of a gracious God. That it didn't take Zechariah's perfect believing for the promise to become fulfilled. That God was set out to do it. And it happens. A barren woman becomes pregnant because nothing is impossible for God. And he restores her honor where there was shame. And in all of her waiting, and in all of her sadness, and in all of the years and years and years and decades and decades and decades, like she's well along in years now, of praying, she's finally heard. Maybe it's been a while since you've heard from God, and you wonder if he can hear you at all. We need look no further than Zechariah and Elizabeth to say God still hears and he isn't done. Which leads to our last point, hope believed. We look at Zechariah and the the scene shifts. Look at verse 26 with me. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by the statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I've not had sexual relations with the man? The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, The Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary said. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. The scene shifts. And we go out of the sanctuary and we we move over to Nazareth. Now, you might not realize, but Nazareth is like the backwoods for for this time. Like in the Greco-Roman world, Nazareth was like like way out there. That was the boondocks. It was the sticks. Nothing happened in Nazareth. That's not the epicenter of culture. There's nothing. There's even a phrase that can anything good come from Nazareth? Like this is where we go, and it is here that Mary gets visited by the angel. And she gets greeted, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you, which if if you grew up Catholic or you are Catholic, um, that's where the Hail Mary gets its opening phrase. Um, Favored means grace, so Hail Mary full of grace. That's where that comes from. And it says that Mary was, was, was troubled. And you can kind of understand why she would be if you were visited by an angel. And he said that, and 
He's troubled and he tells her not to fear. He says, you'll give birth to a son. You'll name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. And what Luke is doing is he is comparing Zechariah's son, John, and Mary's son, Jesus. And he is showing that while John is significant, Jesus is better. While John is going to become, come and fulfill the role of the prophet Elijah, which we'll hear more about, Jesus comes and he fulfills the promise of a perpetual dynasty, a kingdom that would have no end that was made to David. He is the one that everyone has been waiting for. In the 400-year silence of God comes to the rejected priest and to a girl way out in the sticks. And why this is also significant is because women in that time were treated as lesser thans. And as God raised the honor of Elizabeth, he's now beginning to show in Luke's gospel, he's raising the honor of women too. And that the first person to get to know about the Messiah is a woman named Mary. And what does she do? She believes. She asked a question just like Zechariah asked a question, but, but within her question wasn't like a doubting, but was actually a, a belief that, that, that what the angel said was gonna happen. Like she believed deep in her bones that this was gonna happen. And just as another point of contrast, the priest who's lived with God, who's worked for God, assumed to be the person who has faith is now outfaithed by a woman in a podunk town. And God wants us to see this in his word, that she is the one who has model faith in it, not the priest, which is crazy because it seems like it should be opposite. So Mary asks the question, uh, how's this going to work? And then Mary doesn't get scolded. God sees her faith. He sees her heart. And this is where I want us to see that waiting with hope, believing that God can do the impossible, comes through receiving with faith, even when you don't understand. It comes through receiving with what God says in latching onto it, believing that it's going to happen, even when you don't necessarily always feel, even when you don't understand. Mary didn't understand, but she, but she didn't disbelieve. She's like, I don't understand, but she held on to the word of God from the angel. And this means that in our own questions, that there's a way to hold on to with faith what God says, even when we don't understand. And there's also a way to question from a place of just unbelief, that there is a difference And friends, when you're losing hope, when you're sick of waiting, when God feels far away, when when you're wondering if he cares, what you need to do in those moments is grab hold of the word of God. Christine Kane says this, when there is a fight between your heart and your head, experience has taught me that the best thing you can do is pick up your Bible and remind yourself what God 
says. So I've lived in that fight. I've lived in that tension. When my experience does not match my belief in the best thing we can do in those moments is to grab hold of God's words to say, I don't understand, but I believe. Because that's what Mary does. And the angel goes on to say that she'll conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in this text, we have a declaration of what Christians have believed through the ages. The Creed says, the Apostles' Creed says that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. How do we believe this? Well, we believe this because nothing is impossible for God. And Mary responds with beautiful words of faith. See, I'm the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it happen to me as you've said. Hope being kindled in the midst of silence. These flashes of light break through into the darkness and they give hope. Where have you lost hope? Where do you feel like giving up? Where has God felt far? Where are you tempted to doubt? Where do you feel like you don't fit in? What areas of your heart seem worn down? Cling to the hope of the God who works the impossible. Recently heard this illustration from a pastor and I thought it was useful. There's a psychologist from Johns Hopkins in the 1950s named Kurt Richter. And he decided to conduct some experiments with rats. And as experiments, I mean, psychological experiments in like the 1950s, really like any time before now, were kind of barbaric sometimes. Um, but he really wanted to see how long rats would swim in a bucket before they drowned. Um, so, I mean, and who doesn't really? Uh, anyways, <laughs> so if you need a good Christmas experiment to do with your family, uh, here you go. This is free. Um, kidding. Don't do this. Anyways, he got 46 rats and he decided to, walk, to basically throw them all in buckets of water and see how long they would swim. And he noticed that he would throw some in and in the buckets and they would swim around like for like a couple of minutes and then they would, then they would basically give up and die. But he also noticed that there were some rats who seemed to last longer than others. And what he figured out, it, it was the rats that have survived drowning before, like swam longer before they give up, gave up. So he thought that was interesting. So he wanted to, he did another experiment. He got like a bunch more rats. I forget how many. Um, and he got a bunch more rats and he, he set up these, this scenario and he wondered if he like picked them up and like right as they were about to die, if he would pick them up, if they would keep swimming. And so he puts the rats in the buckets. He sees that they're about to die and he has a lot of rats that he's working with and he picks it up. He puts the rat back in and it keeps swimming. It keeps swimming. So he, it's about to give up. He picks it up, puts it back in, 
keep swimming. No matter how tired that rat got, as long as he had hope that he was going to get out, that he was going to win, he never stopped swimming. It's fascinating, isn't it? Like they would just keep swimming because he kept having hope. And friends, as long as there is hope, we can keep swimming. And what the Bible gives us in this passage are pickups of hope, full of hope for us who are tired and weary, full of hope for us who are just feel like God has been silent. Because here's what we see. We can, from this passage, here's the way God is picking us up. We can, we can hope because God sees our worship when he feel like he is far away. Zechariah worshiped regularly. Elizabeth worshiped regularly. They prayed constantly and they didn't hear anything for a long, long time. But God still saw him and he sees you today. He heard Zechariah's prayer. He hears yours. We can hope when we feel rejected because Elizabeth may have been rejected by society and shamed by society as someone being judged by God because she didn't have kids. But God brought her near and clothed her with honor. And friends, when you feel rejected, we just need to remind ourselves that God has spoken to us in Christ and that we belong. And he has taken all of the shame from your sin and he has taken that away in Christ and has clothed you with honor. Not just neutral ground standing now, but full honor as a privileged son and daughter with the same inheritance as the Lord Jesus. It means we can hope in our unbelief because even when our faith feels shoddy, like Zechariah's, God is still gracious to us. And he holds on to us when we barely hold on to him. We can hope because it is the unlikely that belong. You might have your caricature of whatever the perfect Christian looked like, but that perfect, the only perfect Christian who ever lived was Jesus. In in a culture where women were treated as second class and in a culture where, where people from the backwoods were treated less, we see that it is those people that God chooses to visit. It is those people that God reveals himself to. And we see that it is the woman from the backwoods that has greater faith than the priest. And we can hope because God is out to fulfill all of his promises. He will stop at nothing. And this passage shows that he would do it. He would go so far as to come to earth through a virgin woman named Mary. And we can hope because nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is. And we can look no further than a cross and an empty tomb to realize that nothing is impossible because he did the impossible thing. He defeated death itself. He defeated Satan and defeated our sin. You know, in this, in this passage, one of the things I, I didn't get to talk much about was the fact that what Luke is trying to show is that Jesus is coming to lead us home again, to lead us back to God. 
Just like Moses and Aaron led the people out of bondage to Egypt, Jesus has come. In John 2, remember it said that John was from like the lineage of Aaron, which is fascinating. And Jesus comes to, to lead the people of God into life with God again. And friends, as we wait, as we wait for Christ to return, we hold on to hope and we hope with faith, remembering that nothing is impossible for him.